When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Welcome, Kate, to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It's wonderful to be back on. Yep. We're joined in the studio, the studio by the Melissa Vincent. How are you going, Mel? I'm very well. How are you, Owen? Good. Very good. It's our pleasure to have you with us today. I'm so excited. Yeah, your first podcast with Kate and I, which will be fun. And this is a bit of an exploration of your journey in finance and who you are and how you think about money, how you think about investing in these types of things. I feel like you need to give listeners some context on, on who Mel is and why, why she's in the studio with us today. Why you're in the studio. Well, yesterday when we sat down in the studio, Mel, you gave us a bit of an intro when we were with Amy Lenardi into who you are and what you do. So we're delighted to have you with us today and always, but tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm just starting with the Rask team this week and I'm super excited. So along with finding me maybe on some of the podcasts, I will be heading out the marketing and events. I'm sure we'll go into it a little bit more, but a little bit of background about me is I've most recently been working at an ETF provider. And before that, I worked at a managed fund. So I'm really, really interested in personal investing and personal finance. And I'm super excited to share some of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years with all the listeners. I studied postgraduate in finance and commerce a while ago. This feels like a lifetime ago, but uh, a whole other side of my life. I used to be an actor. I lived in the UK for three and a half years. So I love talking. I love people. <laughs> and so this is like the perfect opportunity to combine all the things that I love, finance, talking, marketing. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So let's get to it. Yeah. Uh, Kate, London, I feel like 
you could find yourself in London for an extended period of time. Yeah. We haven't spoken much about London, but I'll have to uh, hear all your tips and tricks about where to go there. Absolutely. It was probably the best experience that I've ever had. It's a hard lifestyle, but the people there, the experiences, the history, there's just something in the air there that just isn't here in Australia. It's a pretty special place. And I know this week we've been chatting and getting to know each other, but one of the things we were asking the other day, well, Owen was in particular, was what what was your favourite thing to spend money on? So I do love a bit of a shop. I love clothes. I'm fully aware that's probably not the best thing to spend my money on. So I have just in the last few months really been cracking down on myself, giving myself a budget and investing the money that I'm not spending on shopping. Is it because you were starting with us, you were like, I need to get myself in shape. Um, <laughs> they're going to think things. They're going to be like looking at me funny or why did you do it? No, I just realized that um, I really want to be empowering myself and my financial future, potentially building my wealth in ways other than property at the moment. I think we had a conversation about this the other day about waiting for the right time and opportunity for me to purchase a property. So I've really been um, investing a lot of time and money into educating myself on investing. Mm, Cool. I like it. Clothes is not such a bad thing to spend money on. Uh, the vices well, you're, the you're on a clothes Probably. band at the moment. I'm aren't the you? opposite. You announced <laughs> at the end of last year you're going to just do op shopping for the year. Yeah, I'm doing op shopping. Love yeah, it. Except you're Absolutely. not going to get op shopped undies more. or socks. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Also, shoes. I'm allowed to have shoes, which I love. That's the only thing that I like to spend money on clothes wise is shoes. Uh, but since I've got the Iron Williams, they like never break. No. So, like, you can just keep them forever. Cost per wear on them are very good. Yeah, even though they're expensive. Maybe you two should go op shopping together. You can pick them out some out. I'm down. It would be more impactful for Mel because I normally just go to like get Anchor or like Kmart clothes anyway. But for you, a full like mission or challenge to be like, I'm going to go to op shops might actually like be a game changer. Do you know what? When I lived in the UK, I actually did that a lot because there were so many cool people who had cool stuff. So I'm down for it. I'll somehow find a way to spend more money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've said like you want to like empower yourself, but what mm-hmm. got you interested in money? Well, I suppose if I go back to, I suppose my childhood, I remember, I distinctly remember my dad, he did invest quite a bit. I actually remember, I hope he doesn't listen. He was doing a trade before I went to school one day and he added an extra zero somewhere where he shouldn't have added a zero. And all I heard was a lot of expletives but so yeah I distinctly remember my parents investing and my mum particularly really instilled on me the value of money working for your money my mum still works now she's probably the most hardworking person that I know and yeah they really really instilled on me that things cost money and you have to make money to be able to spend your money. Mm. Did you say your dad put in an extra zero? Somewhere. I don't know if it was in units or dollars, but yes. <laughs> so when he placed the trade, that would have been scary for a moment. I bet it was. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done that? Um, I usually sort of pay attention to the numbers I'm, <laughs> You're I'm very, checking in, but yeah, yeah. I haven't been placing too many trades recently. Yeah. been a bit tighter on the, the budget with interest rates going up and mm. groceries going up. So yeah, hopefully I'll get to enough. invest maybe in the second half of the year a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. So we had a bit of a giggle off air. Well, at least I did. I tend to be the only one that laughs at my jokes. But uh, they're not always very good. <laughs> <laughs> so you just got to laugh out of us. Okay. So you worked at an ETF provider, which we can say it's called Globalex. 
ETF sponsor of the show. Thank you. Love the team at GlobalX. And now you're working with us. Before that, you said you were in an active fund manager, which we've spoken about is like, was like a kind of niche fund Super manager. niche. Yeah. yeah. It was in healthcare. Yeah. Very, very interesting. There was a medical advisory panel from all over the world. A lot of the time I had no idea what they were talking about, but um, yeah, it was super interesting working from the active side and then also going into passive. There's a lot of crossover and similarities, but obviously different way of operating. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember when you made your very first investment? Yes. Uh, like many, many people, it was during COVID. I was living in London at the time, but I was looking for a way as, you know, maybe we weren't spending money doing other things, putting my money to work. And I invested in IWLD for my shares uh, at the time. Well, I still am now. I'm very interested in, I suppose, responsible investing. And I'm also interested in investing in like a global, with a global lens. So that was my first investment. Do you know how long it took you to get to the point from wanting to invest to actually making that first order for iWorld? So I think we spoke about the other day whether people are gut or head. I am gut. So I was just like one day... I'm going to invest in it. And honestly, at that time, I just really liked iShares branding and marketing. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't like the sound of it. So I was like, why not? I did the minimum order. So we did $500. And yeah, it's cool. pretty quick. Do you still own iWorld? I do. I haven't invested any more into it, but I do still own it. Yeah, right. Cool. It's kind of cool to have your very first holding. Like I have no idea what my very first investment was when I was stuffing around, but I definitely don't have it. Kate was was Australia's next top trader for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mine was NAB and that's long gone from my portfolio. I I reckon I would have lasted a day if that, because that's when I was in the mindset of like, you could buy it in the morning and sell it in the afternoon and make money. Wow. It doesn't happen. Anyway, (laughs) so you bought that. That's pretty cool if you could hold on to that for your investing journey and say Mm -hmm. that you've never sold it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose from my perspective, I definitely don't have the time, the resources or probably the intellect to trade a lot. So I tend to just buy something, hold it. I have a continuous direct debit to put into certain ETFs and I just kind of continue that way. Hmm. Cool. I like it. Kate and I love automation. So that was your like your first investment. Mm-hmm. Has anything changed since then? Are you at investing in other things? Well, I suppose I started investing, I suppose, kind of getting into the finance industry. I started realizing that I probably need to start building a core portfolio first. So that is what I continually put money into. So I do global equities, US, Australian, and now I've started to kind of delve into like some more thematic, so some commodity ETFs. And I'm kind of interested in this whole uh, yield as well. So that's probably the next thing I'm going to start investing in. Like for income? Yep, exactly. Do you spend a little bit more time researching now or is it still gut decisions? I suppose working from an ETF provider or working for an ETF provider, I was in product marketing, so I had to know all the products and I had to know all the competitors' products. So, yes, I suppose naturally I have. You were forced to do the research. Exactly. You have to know it's your job. Yeah, right. That's cool. Well, Kate and I have been thinking about for a while this idea of like the finance industry. People get a lot, we get a lot of questions of people that want to break into finance, Mm -hmm. particularly like from my side of events, it's like investing side where people like want to become analysts or whatever. But I think we also forget there's so many other roles in finance. Like every industry, you need HR, you need marketing, you need people in the accounting department, legal departments, like this even tech and engineering is a huge thing. Like I remember when we did the CBA share deep dive, just how many engineers they were hiring. Like it's there are so many interesting roles and we often only 
well, especially on the investors podcast, talking a lot of portfolio managers, but there are so many interesting roles in finance. And I think it's a fascinating industry to work in. And Mm. it's a good way to learn. If you're really interested in learning more about finance, I mean, that's what I did quite a few years ago. I wanted to learn more. And so I just found a role that was somewhat related to my skill set and jumped in. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And you've kind of experienced it from all different sides and different businesses. So you've got a really good cross section there. But how did you get into, well, why did you even want to get into finance? Yeah. So my journey has deviated significantly from the original course that I was planning for my life. So I think I mentioned before, I went to London and I went to drum school. That was something I always wanted to do as a child. I wanted to be an actor. That was my goal. I don't think I would have ever envisioned working in finance back then. So just to backtrack 10 years. When I finished school, I did my commerce degree. No intention of really ever using it. I just did it basically to appease my parents. And I suppose I had in the back of my mind one day I wanted to do something in the business world, whether I owned a company or a production company or something. So I thought, you know, it's always good for me to have an education. No one can take it away from you. And I like learning. So did that. At the same time, I went to London and I went to drama school. That was a very, very interesting time, obviously, moving to the other side of the world and immersing myself in that aspect of my life. And this is kind of where I started to work in marketing. So as an actor, you only work 1% of the time. So the 99% of the time you have to do something else. And I was really passionate about wellness and fitness. So I'm a fitness instructor. I teach Pilates on the side. And I started working for a company in London, which was like a big boutique gym and wellness space. And I got involved in the marketing team there. So doing obviously like a lot of socials, videos, advertising events, that sort of thing. And while I was doing that, I had a lot of friends who were working in financial services, whether it be private equity, hedge funds, some people working in crypto. There was a whole bunch of friends of mine who were working in financial services in one shape or another. And I was just gravitating towards them. They had a wealth of knowledge, not just for the finance industry, but for what was going on around the world. And I just wanted to learn from them. And then I kind of had this thought, I was like, well, if they're doing it, why can't I? So I won't bore you with the ins and outs of why I moved back to Australia, COVID, Brexit, acting. I kind of got to a point where I thought if I put half as much effort into anything else that I was interested in, I probably would have reaped a little bit more rewards. So I decided to move back to Australia and I studied my postgraduate in finance and it was super, super interesting. Definitely made me realize that I shouldn't be an analyst because Excel is just not my vibe. My brain does not work like that. But um, I was super interested in the concepts around finance. And so when I graduated, I thought, well, what can I do that's going to combine finance but also be creative because I do have that itch that I need to scratch. And so I thought, well, why not combine finance and marketing? So that's how I got the job at the Active Fund Manager. I worked in their marketing team. Actually, I was the only person in marketing. So it was... Did you have free reign? Yeah, it was a lot of hands and a lot of pots. But then the ETF opportunity came about. That's the way I was investing. That's what I was gravitating towards myself. And GlobalX was in like a massive scale-up phase. So I thought, why not go there? And it was an amazing experience. We launched so many products. There was a rebrand. I really got across so many different aspects of marketing, got exposed to so many different products, asset classes. And um, yeah, it was great. 
And given how much the ETF industry has exploded, especially in Australia over the last few years, it was kind of the perfect time to work for an ETF provider and learn about all of the different things that happen behind the scene. Because most of us will just buy it for our brokerage account. We don't actually get to see any of the mechanics that are happening underneath the surface. So it's cool to have your insights and share them more on the show over the coming year. Yeah, definitely. I would love that. And I think what people don't consider is there is so much that goes into making an ETF. It's not just, you know, following the index. Some ETF providers, they'll work with the index provider to create an index. And there's just so much that goes into it. And the research is still so deep. So even though it's passive, it's not really passive. Yeah. It's a lot of work behind the scenes, yeah. researching the companies or whatever you're investing in the market. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. You know how the sausage is made. And uh, that, that's really cool. <laughs> so now, uh, now you know, like you can, well, it's just easier, right? Like you can look at other ETFs and you can be like, that doesn't make sense or absolutely. something like this. That's mm. really cool. Are right. there any interesting insights that you took away from your time at Global X and working on the behind the scenes of creating ETFs? Hmm. There was so much. I'm trying to think of one thing. Do you know what? There was something that I just took from a, I suppose, selfish personal level was just learning about how to invest for myself, that it's just taking a common sense approach to investing, you know, not trying to time the market, not trying to be smarter than everyone else because I'm definitely not. And just thinking about building that portfolio, how different products can fit within mm. my own personal portfolio. Yeah. So you got to kind of got to, like, you got to see what matters and what doesn't. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. When you're an ETF provider, do you get to like know who the investors are? Like, do you get to like, do you guys do your own events or anything like that? Uh, we did do some events, but they were mainly for clients. So for intermediary clients, I suppose anything that's listed on the exchange, it's really hard to know who your investors are because it goes through your um, well, computer share or link group and you don't get a lot of data just because of privacy reasons. So it's a lot of trying to figure out through other ways, so through investment trends or other polls or or events, maybe partnership events, who your investors are and, you know, being where they are. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So in terms of your own personal investing journey, mm -hmm. what have you learned since you started investing, maybe even since before then, like just anything that you've learned over that time? Mm -hmm. What have I learned? Well, yeah, the main thing for me is being consistent, just like anything, like with your health, like with sleep, like with anything in your life, being consistent is the most important thing. For me, in terms of budgeting, I find it difficult to be like, I'm going to save all this money and invest. So automation for me is the best tool. So I don't notice the money coming out of my account. It just goes there. And I know that I'm consciously or subconsciously even doing steps every single day to benefit me mm. in the long term. It's mm. cool. Chris Bates on the Property Podcast, Kate, I'm not sure if you've had a chance to listen to it, but in the recent episode, he talked about how the thing that worked for him is not seeing all the money. Mm. So like using that automation and just putting like what he can spend in his bank and then the rest of it just happens in another bank account, just goes off into the distance. So he never thinks like, oh, I'm going to save $500 of my $4,000 income. He just, all he sees is $500. He doesn't even think about the other money. It just automatically happens. Yeah. So it's like kind of like completely out of sight, out of mind. Saying I've only got $1,000 for my yeah. spending. And so 
once it's gone, it's gone. It's not just something that can keep being refilled, even though you yeah. probably can move money from an emergency fund or somewhere else, but giving your, your brain a smaller amount of money to spend for that month. Remember at, at the event, uh, I can't remember who it was, Kyle Johnson said after our Prezzo that they um, got their employer to split their income, which is really interesting. So splitting the income before it even hits any of your bank accounts, your employer does it for you. And the reason Chris said that this was kind of interesting and it touches on what you were saying, Mel, is that he can still spend the money, but it's actually the decision-making that is more important because he said, like, imagine if you go and you buy a $100 t-shirt, for example, and that'd be worth like 10 of my t-shirts, but imagine, or 20 at the op shop. But imagine if you did do that, but you only have $500 versus if you put your full $4,000 in there. The mental accounting, which we always talk about is like, well, if I've only got 500 bucks, there's no way I'm spending a hundred of that, like one in five on that thing. But if it's like one in whatever, 40, you would just go and do it. And so I think that kind of restrictive budgeting also has that kind of mental trick of helping you prioritize. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The mind is a very, a very interesting place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd know that from marketing, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. You know all the tricks that work on us. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. We're going to be manipulated before we even walk in there just now. Um, um, I feel like, like I just want a Pilates lesson now. Yeah, all well, true. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we can get one going in the office. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, not flexible. I think that's like an important part of it, right? Well, you do Pilates to make your body more mobile. So maybe when you start, then you'll become that. Got to work on it. <laughs> yeah. Fitness, important habit along with your finances, your exactly. sleep, as Mel said. Sleep, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> okay, so if you're talking about money with friends, mm-hmm. this is kind of like the last question we have for you. If you're talking about money with friends, have you had any success in that way? Are there any things that you do that have helped or don't really help when mm-hmm. talking to friends about money? It shouldn't be this way, but I still feel like talking about money is like a little bit taboo. People don't want to talk about how much money they make, how much money they're spending, you know, what they pay for their house, their car, what's their mortgage. I mean, for me, I have a lot of friends who are much older than me, so I feel super comfortable talking about how much I make because they're probably further down the career path than I am. And I think if you kind of come at it from a, I want advice rather than from a judgmental point of view, it's always People are very receptive to that. Now that I work in finance, people ask me what they should invest in and I always tell them I'm not a financial advisor yet, perhaps, Um, (laughs) but don't take my advice. Educate yourself. Have a look on all of the providers' websites. See what you're interested in, what resonates with you. But yeah, it's one of those funny things where I think you have to just know your audience, know that you're with people that um, are not going to judge you and that they feel safe around you as well. Mm, How about if someone came to UK? What would you say if someone's like, should I invest in this thing? What's your default response? Most of the things people ask me about are really like weird and out there that I've never heard of. Some strange coin, a strange (laughs) lithium mining stock. So at least I start from, why don't we not make things extra complicated and start with something simple and then you can go crazy. They might be like, oh, damn it. And then they just think I'm boring and then (laughs) Then we move on. Yeah, come back to me for personal finance, but none of this other stuff. Yeah, Yeah. or like simple stuff. I think everyone thinks they have to overcomplicate their finance journey and has to start from, people want to go from zero to hero straight away and just pick the most complicated thing. And I'm like, well, we don't actually need to pick that. Or you start asking them questions. Do you know what the company does? How do they make money? How many employees do they have? Who's running the company? And usually 
on a few occasions I've had answers, but usually people haven't actually done any research and just want validation. And that's why they're asking you. And I think it's important there. You don't want to be that one person that's giving them the validation to invest in something they've done no research from. And so just giving them some tools and resources. And if they're really serious, they'll go and look something up, but rarely has anyone ever come back to me and gone, oh, I really did my due diligence on that particular tiny company. And people don't usually come up and ask about ETFs, though maybe that will change. Maybe, yeah. it's it Hopefully it does. I think it's slowly changing. I think so, especially among, you know, millennials, Gen Zs, you know, they're looking for an easy way to invest. I know I am. I love something that's packaged up for me. <laughs> and I think people are the same. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. I had a mate actually, to your point, Kate, come up to me on the weekend and talk about an investment that he had made. And I fully expected going into the conversation that they would, I'd ask him like five questions and that'd probably be the end of it. Like he'd probably kind of shut down because he wouldn't have the answer to the question, but he had answers to all the questions plus more. Oh, really? Yeah. So you got to learn something. Yeah, yeah. He was telling me things about this business that he's investing in and whatever. And uh, it's really great to see. So you know who you are if you're listening. And uh, I think it's really, really cool. It wasn't necessarily validation, just like second opinion kind of thing, which is kind of cool. Like what haven't I considered? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can kind of tell if someone just wants validation on something that their mates told them about and they want to just go, oh, this company, or they've actually done some research and they're going, can you test my theory? Is there anything I have forgotten about? Are there any numbers I should have looked at? Are there any other resources where I can get a second point of view that's maybe the opposite of mine? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been heaps of fun, Mel. Thank you for joining us in the studio today and sharing a bit of your life and a bit of who you are with Kate and I and everyone in the community. We really do appreciate it. And we're excited to have you part of the team. I'm so excited. And I'm sure everyone listening is very excited that the word events and later yes. this year is popping up as well. Yes. We've had a lot of messages. Yeah, events is in Mel's job description. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll be hearing more about that as well as like, obviously, it's just exciting to have you on, to have someone who's actually a marketing professional. Kate and I love educating and doing all this stuff, mm-hmm. but we are definitely not the marketing professionals. So that's exciting. Well, I think you've done pretty well so far. Your audience loves you and I'm super excited to be part of it now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, we just kind of do things that we hope help people and mm-hmm. that's kind of our default stance. But yeah, we're really excited about that. So thank you for taking some time to join us in the studio today. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, Kate, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz 
that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.